Well, good morning. I don't know if Mark said good morning or not, but I want to be sure and welcome you guys. I know we've got some guests here this morning. Good to see you here. Uh, hopefully several of you are watching online. Uh, I know, like Mark said, we've got a lot of sickness this morning, injuries, etc. But it's good to see you that have been able to make it here. And uh, we'll have a good time together this morning. Uh, Kidmo Kids. Sorry, no Kidmo, okay? So you're stuck in here today, but it's okay because I'm probably going to say the same thing I would have said if I was in Kidmo. So hopefully this will be something you guys will be able to enjoy. And, uh, and you know, I think there's something special about families being able to worship together on occasion too, where the whole family's in here, and I try not to teach anything that's way over a, well, we won't say what level because I don't want to make you adults feel bad. But, <laughs> but yeah, good to see you guys here. You know, Mark was talking about injuries. I have joked that, you know, we have so many active kids in our church. I think when you go to the emergency room now, you get like a Journey Church discount card, and for every third ER visit, they like punch it, and you get a Starbucks gift card or something, you know, because we, we have an active bunch of kids, but it's fun to see that you guys are always out and about and active, but as Mark said, this is an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, and I think this is important, and you're going to see why as I go through this, and, and I'm going to talk primarily my base text this morning will be Matthew 11:28 through 30. And these are the words of Jesus. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Okay? I think most of you that have, have been in church for any time at all have probably heard this. But what does that yoke mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What are the teachings of Jesus? And I think that's the whole framework for, for our teaching in Sermon on the Mount, that as Mark was introducing that, is these are the words of Jesus. I would encourage you as we go through this not only to look at the year-long Bible reading plan that we're going to introduce there on new version. But pick you a version and new version and look in the passages of Scripture concerning the Sermon on the Mount as we go through and get you a version that has the words of Jesus in red. Anybody grow up in church remember what we call the red letter edition Bibles? Well, that red stuff is what Jesus said. Those are attributed to him. Those are the words that Jesus left with us while he was on earth. And it's very important that we understand that. And so there are tons of that in the New Testament. And sometimes we just gloss over it. And I know I'm guilty of that when I'm reading scripture sometimes. You need to kind of take pause and say, hey, this is what Jesus himself said. This is important. This is something I really need to look at. And that's what we try and do here is reference everything we do do back to scripture. But what does the this idea of a yoke mean? That's not something that's common in our society. When I think of a yoke, all I can think of is farm animals. How about you? Grew up in the country, yokes for the farm animals. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he he wanted to yoke us like a cow or something. So, you know, we're going to look at what that means. But to do that, we have to understand what the traditional role of a rabbi was to his disciples in Jewish culture. We have to go back so many times we overlook cultural context in Scripture. And so we need to kind of go back, look and see what was going on here. Now, how many of you know anything about Judaism? Got a couple in here that know a little bit about it, have have seen the, the relationships and know what the rabbi does. Well, do you know at what age Jewish children started being educated? Five. Don got it. 
there were three different levels of education for Jewish children. I'm going to just briefly go through these. This isn't super important, but just so you'll know what the culture is we're talking about. The first level was Bet Safar. That was ages 5 to 10, and it included memorizing the following scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Numbers, the most exciting book of the Bible you had to memorize. (laughs) Have y'all ever read Numbers? Can you imagine all these things, memorizing those scriptures? These were five and ten-year-old kids. I've already washed out of the program at this point, you guys. I'm not going to make it there. Uh, The next level was Bet Talmud. That's ages 10 to 14. They memorized the rest of the Old Testament scriptures, and the students also learned the art of question and answer style learning. That's something we don't do a lot of. We have experimented with that, and we'll do that in the future again. We're a little more participatory than just lecture-style sermons. That's what we kind of use small groups for in this church. That's a good place to have a question-and-answer type learning experience. But can anybody remember in Scripture a young little kid doing a question-and-answer learning experience in Scripture? Does anybody remember one? What was it? John 3.16 is a verse, yes. Here's what I'm thinking about. And and moms and dads, if you ever feel a failure as a parent, this is your favorite passage of Scripture where they leave Jesus behind and forget him at the temple. And they're out traveling on the road, and everybody's like, where's Jesus at? Where's he at? Where'd he go? Hey, we've lost our kid. And they have to go and double back and go get their kid. But do you know what he was doing? He was in his father's house. He was in the temple. He was doing a question and answer learning with the elders there. So he was right in that age group as a 12-year-old kid where he was in this this third stage of learning where they did this question and answer thing where it wasn't just, well, you know, like some of us used to do as children, a Bible drill. Okay, get your your Bible and go to so-and-so verse or or quote such-and-such verse or memory. No, this was actually a discussion among children and their elders of what was going on and what, what the Scripture meant. It wasn't just knowing the Scripture. It was knowing how to apply it and what it meant. So, you know, only the best of the best got into this last the last portion, the Bet Midrash. That's ages 14 plus. Only the best of the best were chosen for this level of education, which includes learning the oral and written traditions and various commentaries. Each rabbi would then have his interpretation of how these rules were to be followed, and this was called his yoke. So not only have we memorized the first five books of Scripture and then the rest of the Old Testament, we've learned to question and answer. Now we have these various rabbis that have added their traditions and their oral commentaries and things, and that's what you're learning in the yoke, as it's called. You're learning what each rabbi's interpretation of Scripture is there. And they all had some different interpretations. Just like today, we sometimes have a little bit different interpretation of Scripture. The basic meaning is always the same about Jesus. But we have different interpretations sometimes about specific verses. They might they might question, you know, because they were, were very law-oriented, the rabbis were. You know, one of the examples I saw was, how far do you travel to the, to the temple on Sunday without that becoming too far and becoming work on Sunday? Is it, do, they count, do you count the trip to or the trip to and back? Well, obviously, you've got to get back. So they were that detailed. And that was the thing that these, that these kids were learning under this yoke, under this rabbi they followed. Now, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of potential disciples washed out at this point in their training. And they went on to work in the family business. That was just the way it went. If you didn't make it through this third level into here and you were not the best of the best, you went into the family business. You had a good religious 
education, foundation, but you went into the family business. That's the why I say that at age five, they should have just gone ahead and given me my fishing pole because I'm never going to make it to here. You know, I'm going to have to go in the family business. I would never make that level. But so you see that. But I want to get a little deeper into something. Uh, have you ever heard of the, uh, Rob Bell was famous for this sermon, but there were a lot of other people behind, besides him that have done it called the dust of the rabbi. Have you ever heard of that? I know many of you may have seen that or be dusty. And it's a term that we often use. You know, we're, what we want to do is we want to consider what it means to follow Jesus so closely that we become dusty. We become, you know, covered in his dust. And we need to go back and get just a little bit more out of Jewish culture and order for us to understand this part of the scriptures. Um, the Mishnah, meaning repetition, is the earliest authoritative body of Jewish oral law. It records the views of rabbinic sages known as the Tanim from the Aramaic Tena, meaning to teach. The Mishnah supplements the Torah, but it lacks all the scriptural references. In other words, the Mishnah was a oral tradition. It was kind of like in the United States, you may have heard the American Indians, how some of their oral trans uh, traditions were handed down generation to generation. It was that sort of thing. These were oral traditions that had been handed down generation to generation, memorized by the students. And the Mishnah was the first great creation of the rabbis, who were not actually clergy, but rather came from all walks of life. It's a large collection of sayings, arguments, and counter-arguments that touch on virtually all areas of life, including temple ritual, which was long gone. You know, you have to consider during much of the Old Testament, the Jews are in exile. They don't have a temple to worship in. They've been exiled throughout the earth. So a lot of the old rituals that they observed in the, the temple had gone. But getting down to the to the real core of today, what we're talking about, these verses from the Mishnah give us the idea of what it means to become dusty. This is from Avot 1.4. It says, Let thy house be a meeting house for the wise, and powder thyself in the dust of their feet and drink their words with thirstiness. This is talking about those rabbis, those teachers. And, you know, we're going to see there's a couple of different ways you could see this. You could either, number one, the teachers were coming into your home, and you could be sitting around their feet. Or number two, as the as we see with Jesus, you could be following your master closely as you walk behind them. Both of those ideas, though, and again, some, sometimes when you look at Jewish tradition and history, they like to argue. They would have probably sat here and argued about this verse and whether it meant to sit at somebody's feet or follow them closely for hours on end because that's the way they learned. That's the way they communicated. But we can take that as either way. The real saying that we need to remember in this is that dust part. What that dust part means is you're following so closely or you're so close to your teacher you're basically taking like a lady would take her makeup, her powder, and you would take that dust and you would powder yourself from head to toe in that dust because you were following your teacher so closely. You know, and we don't really have that idea today. Now, and we'll get into this a little bit later when we talk about our earthly teachers and pastors and things like that. We don't follow any earthly person that closely anymore. I think the closest idea we have is in the terms of being an apprentice. And that's something many are familiar with and maybe have even been through an apprenticeship program for, for your workplace. That, you know, is where someone, an underskilled laborer, comes alongside a skilled worker and learns a trade. They sit at their feet and learn their trade. They will give them increasing responsibility as they learn, and they will get deeper and deeper into their learning and, and become more like the person they're apprenticed to. But 
how do you find your master in that? How do you how do you find the rabbi you want to follow? How do you know when you found the right one? And I'm going to show you a, a humorous example of how probably not the rabbi or the master you're looking for. Still, something familiar about this place. I don't know. I feel like... Be like what? Like we're being watched. Oh, wait, put your weapon. I mean you no harm. I am wondering, why are you here? I'm looking for someone. Looking? Found someone you have, I would say. <laughs> right. Help you again? Yes. I don't think so. I'm looking for a great warrior. Oh! <laughs> great warrior? Wars oh! <laughs> not to make one great. <laughs> Put that down. Now we. Hey! It's my dinner! How you get so big getting food of this kind? Listen, friend, we didn't mean to land in that puddle, and if we could get our ship out, we would, but we can't, so why don't you just. get your ship out. Hey, get out of there! No! Hey, you could have broken this. Don't do that. Oh, you're making a mess. Hey, fine, or I will help you not. I don't want your help. I want my lamp back. I'm gonna need it to get out of this slimy mud hole. Mud hole? Slimy? My home this is! Archie, let him have it. this morning now i thought that was humorous but you know what do we look for a master in our own image who are we looking for if you'll look here luke rejected yoda because he was looking for a mighty warrior the jews also rejected jesus uh, rejected jesus because they were looking for an earthly ruler they were looking for somebody that was on the spot now and jesus came to teach us about a kingdom that's not of this earth so often when we're looking for a master or a ruler what we do is we project what we want to be or what we think a master or a ruler looks like onto jesus and begin to try and sculpt jesus into our image instead of following him as he is you know 
I like I liked a lot of the quotes in there. You know, Luke was looking for a mighty warrior. Do you think he was very surprised when he found a little one foot tall green guy that's you know is a mighty warrior? That wasn't what he was looking for. He was looking for something that he had already predetermined in his mind. And I just love how his eye his ears perk up when he says the Jedi Master. That was something very special he was looking for. But he hadn't found it yet. He didn't, he didn't realize what he was looking for there. And, and much like that, when we look into Scripture and look at the, the, the training that Jesus did, you know, we, we can look at that and see that we're supposed to be following Jesus. And this is where we get into danger, okay? If you come to our church, I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to follow Mark. It's not our teachings that you're supposed to be following. You're supposed to be following the teachings of Jesus, not us. And I was thinking about this this morning that what happens is a lot of pastors, teachers, and it doesn't matter denomination or whatever, we tend to try and create our own yoke. And what happens is people start looking at us instead of at Jesus. And we don't want that here. We've never wanted that. We want to be as authentic as we can in presenting what our master that we followed Jesus taught and giving that back to you in teaching. And what happens is when you don't do that, you get all kinds of corruption of Scripture. You get all kinds of paths that you shouldn't be going down because you begin to follow the person. And why do you do that? Because that's what you want to look like. You want to look like the successful person. You want to look like the person that God's blessing all the time. You want to look like the person that never has a problem. You want to have the perfect marriage, the perfect kids. I call those Facebook pastors. You know, they they will never post that we had a low crowd this morning because people were sick, people were still, you know, out for the holidays. They'll never post that. But if they have a good crowd, it'll be, oh, look, we had a record crowd today. People aren't honest a lot of times, and we begin to build this image of things that doesn't really exist. And then we get people trying to follow us and get that same thing that doesn't even exist. The perfect marriage is not perfect. The perfect family, we're not perfect families. You know, there's, there is qualifications to be a leader in a church, and that comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we won't get into that today. But if you'd like to look, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, and he has some specific things to be leaders in, in a church. You have to have your own household in order, you know. I may have to disqualify Mark this morning based on what Jonathan tells me. You know, I, you know, Jonathan, Jonathan has a list of rankings of father figures. Where, where's your dad? Is he still at number four? Three? Oh, he moved up. See, Mark must have got him a good Christmas gift, so he bumped up the list just a minute. You know, because Jonathan has threatened to enter the transfer portal and get him a new dad if he doesn't straighten up. So but we, we kid Jonathan about that and Mark, but I'm not perfect. Mark's not perfect. Our families will tell you we're not perfect. And that's the reason I never want you to be looking at us. I want you to be looking at Jesus. So how did Jesus teach? When we we look at the life of Jesus in Scripture, we see him training disciples through living and traveling together. And Jesus primarily taught his disciples out on the road by living life with them, with him. And they were literally following in his footsteps. You know, we talked about from Abbot 1-4 a minute ago from the oral traditions of Judaism. There was some argument there between was you sitting at his feet or were you following him as a, as a traveling rabbi? If we see Jesus, we saw him do both, didn't we? We saw him teach multitudes of people where folks were sitting at his feet. But we also saw a deep level of discipleship of where the, the disciples were following him from place to place to place. You know, what, what did it say about Jesus? Where was his home? He didn't have one. 
Jesus was basically traveling all the time and had had no place to lay his head that he claimed as his own. So they were always on the road, and many times they were they were running up against the tradition of the rabbis and scholars of Judaism in that day because they had corrupted the Old Testament law and had added so many things to it that Jesus and his disciples were often found guilty in the rabbi's eyes of disobeying what they wanted. And so you you find this tension between Jesus and the religious scholars because Jesus is teaching the pure teachings of he and his father and the rabbis and those people in those days had added so much to Scripture that nobody could possibly do it. And they had added crazy rules and things about ceremonial washing and ceremonial this and all these things that they had added made it so very difficult in order to follow them. Now, if you're coming as, as Jesus into the world, do you think you want to make it as difficult as possible for you to follow him? Why, why would you do that? Why, if your entire mission from the Father here on earth is to have people follow you, open their eyes to the gospel, and know what it truly means to serve, serve others, and this is your entire message, why would you make that hard? Why would you add a bunch of nonsense to it that's just ceremonial and ritualistic? Jesus was beyond all of that. And so we're going to be very surprised at a lot of the characters that we see in Scripture as you go through the New Testament. These were not the best of the best. The only best of the best that we really meet in there was Saul before he became Paul. Saul was the best of the best as far as a Jewish scholar and knowing the law and those things. He was one of those that made it through the third level of the Mishnah. He was he was that guy. But the rest of these guys, they were like us. They were average people. I take real comfort in looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. This walking by the Sea of Galilee... This is Jesus. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Do you realize what a countercultural thing Jesus has done here? We look back at the, the traditions of Judaism and who a rabbi is. They recognize Jesus as a rabbi, as a great teacher. So the people that followed him, who should they have been? Best of the best, right? They should have been those people that were in the third level of learning. They should have memorized all these scriptures. They should have been arguing with the elders in the temple. And they should have then been taking their lives because they were the best of the best, and then they would have been yoked to that rabbi. Jesus turned all this upside down. He went out and said, you know what? You're good enough. Well, I'm just a fisherman. No, you're good enough. Come follow me. Can you imagine what that did to Jewish society? You know, here was here was Zebedee, his, his kids get called to follow Jesus. He went back home and told everybody, You're not going to believe this. The rabbi chose my kids. We're just fishermen. And the rabbi came and he picked us. He picked our family. My boys are going to follow the rabbi. Can you believe this? Because it would have been so extraordinary in that culture for an average person to have the opportunity to follow a great rabbi. And today we have that same opportunity. That's 
one of the things as Mark was introducing this, and this is we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount for the next next few weeks. We're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount, the actual teachings of Jesus, because we don't want you to lose sight of who Jesus is, how great that rabbi is, how great of a teacher he is. And through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can take these same scriptures that he preached to the Jews of the day and to the Gentiles of the day, and we can apply these things to our lives if we will just follow the rabbi, if we will get dusty, if we will get so close to him and his teachings that we will literally be covered in dust from following him. And that's what it takes, guys. That's what it takes to become dedicated, to become a Christian, to to do those things. No, he doesn't have a long list of laws and ritualistic and ceremonial requirements, but he does require us to be close to him in order to follow him. And sometimes I think that we, we neglect that. We see people that think that, well, you know, Jesus forgives my sins, so I can just do whatever. You can't be close to him. Did 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 Jesus allow active rebellion to him or anything in his close circle of disciples. Do you see that anywhere? We don't see that. The only disciple that really rebelled was Judas, who betrayed him. The rest of the disciples, if they messed up, he called Peter Satan one day, get behind me. You know, he didn't tolerate that. So if we think that we can live a life however we want and and be dusty from Jesus, we're not going to do that, guys. You can't do that. And you can't follow follow the rabbi if you don't follow his teachings now can you you can't go and just pick and choose well i'm going to take these verses and i think i'll apply these but the rest of this stuff i'm going to reject we can't do that either we are called to a greater calling and i said that is the beauty of christianity anyone anyone in this world could be called to follow jesus and then we all have the equal responsibility of spreading that word with others. That's one of the other things that I think the American church has gotten wrong is they have left it up to folks like Mark and I and other teachers to spread the word of the gospel. That was not the intent. That was the reason Jesus said he could qualify anybody to be his follower and to teach his teachings is because he wanted us all to be following him. You know, there are some higher requirements for teachers in an atmosphere like this that we read, it, as I was talking about in First Timothy. However, you're supposed to be teaching wherever you're at, too. It's your job, you know, at your school. You know, and I know there are some restrictions there, but there are very few, honestly. We're not persecuted in America to the point that you can't go out and share the gospel with someone. You know, you can ask to pray for anybody, anytime. We have these tremendous opportunities that our rabbi Jesus has given us if we'll just take them. But what we have done is, is we tend to sit back and lay back and wait for somebody else to do the work. You know, well, we've got missionaries to do that. We've got pastors can do that. We've got, you know, youth leaders can do that. No, we're all supposed to be doing this. And one of the things I'd like to encourage, because I love teaching kids here. I love kid mo. I love youth. I love all that, those things. We're not talking about these disciples here aren't a bunch of old gray-bearded men. Do y'all realize that? These were young men. Some of them maybe even been in their early teens. These were the people that Jesus qualified. Jesus didn't take a bunch of old elderly rabbis and people that were already established in the church and say, yeah, I want you. You're the best of the best. You've been doing this for 60 years. I know I can trust you with this. No, he said, Come follow me. And these guys dropped what they were doing and came and followed Christ. And at that instant, when they decided to follow him, they were qualified to, fo- to follow him. 
They didn't have to have all these other requirements and ceremonial things that, that went on at the time. And that's what I want you to take with you today. As we get ready to go into this Sermon on the Mount, I want each of you that's a Christian to take these teachings, look at them, and then wonder how can I not only apply them to my life, but how can I share it with those around me? That's that's the that's the importance of Scripture. That's the importance of us getting together. You know, and I realize that right now we're in a really weird time, and it's hard for us to get together because of sickness and, and all kinds of things going on. And we just pray that that will soon be over. But many people had lost the love of getting together before that. It's not just sickness. People had lost the love of getting together as as Christians, worshiping together, learning together, supporting each other as a community. You know, Jesus' disciples were his community. They were the people that he was closest to. And they shared in all things. They traveled together. They shared burdens together. You know, they gathered food together. They did all those things together. And that's what we as a church here at Journey have always wanted to be, as a church, as a community, where we do things together. You don't just come and listen to a Sunday sermon. You know, I can assure you, I won't speak for Mark because I don't want to embarrass him, but I can assure you, you can find a better teacher online this morning than me. If you're, just, if you're all about just online church, you can tune around and find you a good podcast, a good, a good pastor, a good preacher. You know, but you can't find community like that. You know, we have become a we we try and become a digital community is is kind of the next thing we see the metaverse and those things. We're not designed for that. We're designed to see each other, to hug each other, to cry together, to laugh together. That's what community does for us. And that's why we here at Journey have felt that is so important and why it's been such a struggle for the past couple of years for us because the very core of what we want to do is sometimes limited for for safety of people. We understand that. We're, we, we want to be not overly cautious but not careless either. And that's kind of where we have landed as a church, and we continue to do so. But as we go forward, as we go through this Sermon on the Mount, as we go through and we have a Bible reading plan, we have the opportunity to do a Zoom thing together. Uh, youth will start meeting back here soon. As we start doing these things, I want you guys to come together and, re- and realize the importance of community and realize that you can follow the ultimate rabbi, Jesus. You can be dusty. You can be covered in his dust, and you can be so close to him if you will only take time and prioritize that in your life as you go through day to day to try and strive to be closer to Jesus. And as we close in prayer, that is my prayer for us today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all those that gathered here today, Lord. We thank you for those that are that are watching online, Lord, that for sickness or safety reasons. God, we understand all that. And we just uh, we pray for a time that when everyone is healthy and we can get together and and Lord can can be community as as we wish to be that we could be community like Jesus had with his disciples where we shared things where we cried together where we laughed together Lord and we we know you have those things for us Lord and they will be coming soon and just uh, pray for those at home that are sick Lord today that you will bless and heal them and keep us all safe Lord as we, uh, school starts back this week keep our students safe and healthy Lord and uh, we just pray as we go through this Sermon on the Mount series Lord where we see those red letters where we see the words of your son Jesus that we take those things to heart God those are the core teachings that we should be living our life by and God there are so many rich things in there Lord we'll, we'll never being fallen humans and sinful, we'll probably never master all of this in our lifetime, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying to, Lord. And we just pray that you will teach us through the Sermon on the Mount, the words of the rabbi, the words of Jesus, that we are all qualified to follow him, God, and that we will be able 
to become more Christ-like through this series and to share the gospel with our community, God, and to be the church that you would have us to be in this year. And Lord, we just pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Guys, thank you for being here this morning. Um, next week we'll be back in person, and we will start on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to get in Scripture and start reading some of that ahead of time, that's good too. So God bless. Happy New Year. See you guys next week.